Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, founder and CEO of Tribal Knowledge Podcasting, and my guest is Howard Tursky, CEO of From, the digital transformation company and author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. Howard, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. Happy to be here. So tell us about From, about your company, and about the book. Sure. Well, at From, we work with large brands on digital transformation. And what that usually means is some combination of creating a vision of where that company needs to go to be successful with what I call today's digital customer, and then working with them to get there, which includes things like user experience design, software architecture and development, ongoing operations of various kinds of digital properties. For example, we work with AAA, American Automobile Association, and have worked a lot on the different apps and tools for roadside assistance. We do a lot of the product work around Avis and budget rental cars, working on how to improve, constantly improve the budget, the, you know, the, the, the rental car experience. We're working with Airbus on tools for people who are controlling satellites and so on, just building the different digital components of what, what really are, you know, c- kind of a critical part of today's modern business. And your book, a, a bestseller on, on Wall, the Wall Street Journal. That's awesome. I know. Tell us, Isn't that cool? <laughs> it is very cool. So, so tell us about the book. What's it about? Sure. Well, you know, after doing this work, working with large brands on digital transformation for a couple of decades or more, my team and I have really put together an approach that we use that's very repeatable and successful at helping a large brand navigate that process. You know, the reality is a huge percentage of digital transformations are not successful as much. You know, there's many stats from companies like Forrester and Gartner that show the high failure rate of efforts to transform large companies. And it's not really surprising because there are a lot of challenges in making that happen. People are resistant to change. Organizations often are kind of married to a legacy business model. They have investments that are sort of problematic. Sometimes they even have investor expectations that are inconsistent with the kind of change they need to make to really be successful in today's market. And so what we really wanted to do is provide a, a blueprint, a handbook, for any company to go through the process that we, you know, that we do with our clients, but you know, we're a hundred person company. So we're working with a number of leading brands, but of course there are so many companies around the world, large and small. We mostly work with large brands, but this process is not only applicable to very large brands. And so we wanted to make that available to everybody so that, you know, a small percentage of those readers may wind up calling us. And so it acts as a marketing vehicle and has been successful in that regard. But the vast majority of readers will never, you know, wind up hiring us. They can just use this book, which is filled with really practical approaches to how to create a vision, how to get people aligned around it, how to get funding approved, and how to go through the process of launching products that will be successful with your customer and will drive the success of your business. Excellent. And of course, you can get the book on Amazon and anywhere else that you can buy books online. Yes. And, and if anyone would like to read the first chapter for free, they can go to winningdigitalcustomers.com where there are, of course, all the links to buy the book, but you can also download the first chapter as a PDF if you'd like to just check it out before you before you buy. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll put that link in our show notes as awesome. well. And, you know, by the way, you mentioned companies that fail to make that transformation or have a hard time. The, the one that comes to mind for me, because I just watched a documentary about it recently, is Blockbuster. <laughs> just the classic case, right? Like they dominated Absolutely. the video rental, and then along comes Netflix back in the day, and... Blockbuster even had a chance to buy Netflix, which they famously turned down. And then a couple of years pass and boom, they're just blown out of the water. 
And they totally failed to make that transition. Absolutely. There are so many classic examples like that. Blockbuster, Kodak, Western Union, and others. Yeah. Blockbuster, I talk about in my book, actually. I was actually working at Blockbuster as like a high-priced consultant when they were kind of going through the process of trying to plot their future digital vision. So this is one of the great failures of my career, actually, (laughs) because, you know, (laughs) I was there 20 whatever years ago to try to help them. And obviously I... I didn't help them very much. They went out of business. And so, I, but I learned a ton from that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was not for lack of vision and it was not for lack of really smart people because I was there working with people there who, who were amazing, but they had the problem that a lot of companies have, which is that they are, they were very kind of committed to who they already were mm-hmm. and who they were was a stores company. They were a store physical store, the people who ran the company, they, they came from the retail world. You know, some of them came from JCPenney or some of them came from, you know, whatever. And, and that's how they viewed the world. And so when you started to create a vision of the future, more like Netflix today, that wasn't about having retail stores. it, It was just, they have every rationale for why not to go in that direction. It was fine to do cool R and D projects. You know, they didn't object to like visioning projects as long as it didn't get too close to being like too real or if it was a little side mm. project that's one thing but they, you know they certainly weren't interested in a in a vision of the future of the company that wasn't about having a store you know in every town in America and imagine yeah. could any business be no matter what blockbuster did imagine they were geniuses in every possible way but were committed to having a store and essentially delivering you know filmed entertainment to you via a store in your local town, is there any model of that that could still be successful today? I would argue I can't think of one. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And in fact, this documentary I watched is about the very last Blockbuster store. Right, right, in Oregon. It's in a small town in Oregon. It's really, it's a fun documentary, and I'm old enough, so I grew up with Blockbuster. And I was like, oh, yeah, it was a fun experience to go to the store. It just couldn't compete, ultimately, with the convenience of pushing a button and there's every movie ever filmed on your TV. That's hundred percent right. Yeah. And that's what companies need to do today. They need to look at what their business is and say, what is the easier, more convenient, more personalized, and even more for your money version. Cause just imagine for what you paid blockbuster to rent a couple of videos for one weekend, you can have a subscription to Netflix and get access to, you know, however many tens of thousands of, of, of videos streamed right to your home. So those are, you know, I talk about in my book, the three key characteristics of companies that are successful in today's digital world. And it's those three things. It's hyper convenience, proactive personalization, and it's Mm -hmm. essentially more for less. It's it's a massive value shift. And Blockbuster did none of those things. There was nothing particularly personalized about the Blockbuster experience. Yeah. They tried to make it convenient in their, in their, at their level, meaning to put one near you, right? So that's a level of convenience, but of course it can't compete with it's on your phone. And then, of course, you know, it still cost yeah. what it cost, which was not unreasonable. But again, you know, another model was able to take, you know, want, make it cost a tenth as much. And so that's, you know, you, you can't win long term unless you look at those things. And I think if you look at the companies that are successful today, they're doing all of those things. Absolutely. So we could go on talking about Blockbuster, but there's actually something else I'd like cool. to talk about. So. Now, this podcast, Engage Your Tribe, is all about strategies and tactics for engaging customers, prospects, employees, and so on. Now, you're an expert on customer experience in the digital realm, which, of course, involves companies engaging with customers online. 
but the term engagement, it's a buzzword, gets used a lot in, in marketing. And it can mean all kinds of different things. And everyone has diff different definitions. So what does engagement mean from your perspective? Well, engagement is not a term that's one of the first terms that I use when I'm thinking about work that I do. But to me, engagement simply means getting your customer or your prospect to do something, anything, anything. I guess you could argue that before engagement comes awareness. So if the person has no idea that you exist, then that you don't have awareness. At a certain point, they understand you exist. Now you have awareness, but possibly not engagement. And of course, there are levels of awareness. They might know what, that you exist, but not know what you do or what you offer. And then you have a higher level of awareness where they go, oh, I get it. You're a hardware store. You provide personalized service. You have a large selection. You're open on Sundays. Okay, I get it. Engagement is when they say, all right, I'm going to like you on Facebook. I'm going to sign up for an email list. I'm going to go to your store. You know, I'm going to call you. I'm literally going to do anything more proactive than just what happens with my brain cells. Okay, excellent. A, a, a very good definition. So now, as you described earlier, your company from you work with large brands to help them transform their customer experience and become a modern digital yes, digital well companies, right? Now, so so now I'm interested in how you, as CEO of your own company, how do you apply? what you teach to your clients, how do you apply that in your own business to improve your own company's customer experience and engagement with your prospects and customers? Oh, Jeremy, that is a great question. And honestly, I'm not sure I've done, I don't know how many scores of podcasts to promote this book. And I don't think I've ever been asked that question. So I think that is a very good, very, oh, well, very good go. question. Well, I'll tell you, first Thanks of all, me. our company was already operating in a very virtual way before coronavirus hit. Now, we have offices. We have three or four different offices, including an amazing facility in Midtown Manhattan where we do a lot of client workshops and things like that. But we have, for more than 10 years, had the mindset, kind of an agile-type mindset, watch the work, not the worker, and people are wherever they feel they need to be. They can work at home. They can work at the office. Sometimes they're at a client site. And so that, when, when for example, so that idea of a digitally-enabled workforce where that uses Jira and Skype and Slack and Zoom and, and Confluence and Google Drive and all these tools that allow us to use digital to be our collaboration platform rather than physical space. That's something that we've been doing for a long, long time, which I think has benefited us in multiple ways. Most recently, it meant that we had zero transition when coronavirus hit. But even before that, it meant that we could be very flexible about looking for talent. The nature of our business is a lot about talent. It's having the right people with the right experience and it's wonderful when you don't have to be so restricted to say, well, we really need someone in this location or that location. I have offices on, I don't know now, in five or six different countries where we have people, you know, labor forces that are both cost economical because, of course, you know, for example, doing offshore development, which we do in, uh, in Ecuador and in Romania and India. But also just if we're even looking for someone in the U.S. to know that, oh, this person's in Philadelphia or this person's in Denver or this person's in Cincinnati, but they're the right person for the job. Zero problem. If they need to fly somewhere, they can, but for the most part, they can work from wherever. So I think that's one aspect that has really made our work. And increasingly, we're, we're, we're finding that with our clients as well, as our clients are becoming more and more remote oriented and obviously accelerated by coronavirus. We're ready for that. We're, we're you know, because we, we're already collaborating with each other on a remote basis, it's perfectly natural. In fact, we can help lead our clients in that area because we've been living and living it for a long, long time. Okay. So. Practice what you preach. 
Oh, sure. And, and, so, and even things like the book, by the way, and we're, we've developed a couple of courses now as well. One of the things that we are always looking to do is to figure out the book is part of a larger, you could argue, digital transformation, which may sound ironic since the book is obviously made of, you know, atoms, right? But is, is really figuring out how can we have a bigger impact than just in the traditional consulting model. And so the book is one way. We have courses, one course that's already come out and more courses that are coming out. And we're trying to come up with models where we can work with companies that want to, for example, do the things we talk about in the book. Like let's take doing customer research, for example. We talk a lot in the book and in our own work, we do a ton of customer research. And there's a lot of practices that we have about how to do that effectively. How do you do it cost effectively? And how do you do it so that it's accurate? You get the information that you need and you're not, you know, you're really gaining insight into the customer and not, for example, leading the witness and just drawing the conclusions that you had as a preconception. And so uh, we're creating tools that allow people who don't, and maybe they're in other locations or they want to do more of it themselves. They don't want a traditional model where they hire a company like us to come in and do it, where we can provide them the methodologies, we can provide them remote coaching and things like that and empower them. Because, you know, one of the ironies of the, the business that I'm in is I actually think that companies are best when the work that my company does is done by that company internally. I think the optimal company in this digital world doesn't use a lot of outside consultants to do their digital work and their digital transformation. Some is always good, new thinking, new energy. I'm not against it, but you don't Mm -hmm. want to think of that as something that you're outsourcing. You want to think of your digital transformation strategy and execution as core to your business. Despite that, not everybody has those capabilities, so they wind up bringing companies like ours. And of course, when we come in, our goal is always to say, how do we help you transform your organization? We're not going to do it you know, to you or for you. We want to do it with you and help you change your organization. But in any case, point is, part of, our, part of what digital allows us to do is provide those kinds of services in ways that aren't tied to the more traditional consulting models. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to talk about podcasting a little bit because obviously we're doing a podcast right now. We were talking before we started recording about microphones because you have your own podcast and you do podcast interviews on other people's podcasts just like this one, right? So I take it that you, you obviously see value in podcasting as a marketing channel, a communications channel. Is this something that you recommend to the clients that you work with as part of their transformation, as part of the way they do business to create a, a better customer experience? Uh, and if so, sort of where, where do you see the value in yeah, podcasting? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think there's a lot of value in podcasting. First of all, as a marketer, one of the things we always have to ask is, where's our audience? We have a message. We want them to know about what we have to offer, and we have to go where they are. We can't expect them to come to us and say, I heard you have a business. Can you tell me about it? I mean, that's just not going to happen. And there's a lot of people who are listening to podcasts on all kinds of different platforms. So clearly that alone makes it interesting. The second thing as a marketer that makes podcasting interesting is how niche it is. One of the things that you always want to do with marketing is say, well, how do I find my customer? If you're selling Coca-Cola, then, you know, you can do a Super Bowl ad because your customer is like almost everybody. But if you're doing, you know, forensic accounting specifically for manufacturing companies, well, (laughs) you know, it's hard to find marketing channels that are that niche, except you can with podcasting. And that's not the only way you can find them, but that's that's a beauty of podcasting is you can actually get to the right to the right uh, audience. And the third thing that I love about podcasting is that it's authentic. You know, I have a model that I always used to think about of what mm. makes effective marketing. And one of the three pillars is that it has to be authentic. And by authentic, what I just really mean is human. 
People, I find, are increasingly cynical about brands. They don't want to buy from brands. They like to buy from people. Now, there are exceptions to that. You know, people want a Louis Vuitton bag or a Rolex watch. But but more often, you know, it's the founder of a company. It's an Elon Musk that gives a brand a sense of humanity and a sense of authenticity. And I think what's great, and or a Jeff Bezos or a Steve Jobs or now Tim Cook or other people like that. And so what I think is beautiful about podcasting is, you know, it, it's connecting you to people and people is what really creates an emotional connection to a consumer much more so than say a logo. It's a great point. And, you know, I'll just add that what I really like about podcasting just in general as, as a form of entertainment and as a marketing tool is that it's that human element and that it's naturally conversational, that there's something about having this kind of conversation, like the one that we're having, that's pretty much unscripted, right? Like I shared questions with you, so it's not like we're talking about something we had no idea what we're going to talk about. There are some parameters, but right. anything could happen, right? Uh, you know, we it's there's something very lively and very kind of in the moment about a real conversation. That's beneficial for two core reasons. First, because of authenticity, right? When people are having a natural, real conversation, you really, you're really, you know, it's not like someone's reading off a script, like you're actually getting to know somebody much more so than if it's canned or ha- highly edited. And the second reason is, you know, as a content creator myself and needing to deal with, you know, create content, but also do the rest of my job, you know, efficient creation of content is great. And if I know that I can get on a different podcast and someone like you is going to ask me some different questions, ones that people haven't asked me before. And at the end of 30 minutes, we have an interesting conversation that's different from the last conversation or the last 10 conversations I had. I've just, we together have just created a piece of content, but it didn't require, you know, that much time because, you know, we, we, we recorded and maybe someone does a little light editing and, and boom, we have a podcast episode. So the efficiency of creating podcasts, I think is also, it means you can create so much more content. Yeah, totally. And then you can easily repurpose the audio content as print or video or whatever. I agree. I agree. It's, it's really a great content generator. I totally agree. Yeah. So what's a current marketing or customer experience trend that you think is overrated? Webinars. I think webinars, you know, for B2B, obviously, you know, not so much used in B2C, but I think that it was a very powerful technique. And I think with Corona, what happened was everyone wound up all of a sudden spending their whole day on Zoom. And so We've seen participation. We've seen many of our marketing channels skyrocket, but the number of people who are willing to sign up for a webinar, the funny, funny thing is I have more and more people than ever listening to podcasts and live casts, which you'd think is kind of similar to a webinar, but it's, you know, it's a little different. Anyway, bottom line is we've seen our webinar numbers plummet and we've largely stopped doing webinars. And I've seen that at some of my clients as well. I think people are just tired of Zoom and I think webinars right now are, are overrated. Interesting. Do you think it's primarily the medium that it's Zoom and everyone's Zoomed out? Or is there something else about the web webinars and specifically that you think is kind of peaked? I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's that I think it's that, you know, I even like <laughs> look at my daughter. She's she's trying to decide which college to go to. And so a lot of the colleges don't have in-person mm-hmm. tours. And so they're all having webinars in the evenings. And my daughter's like, and she's considering, she's got like five or six schools she's got to decide between in the next few weeks because it's that time of year, right? End of April is like your deadline. And so she's like, and she's not attending a lot of these webinars. And my wife and I are like nagging her like, Jessica, you have to get on the webinars. You got to make a decision, you know, like as good parents will. And she's like, ugh, 
Don't these colleges understand? I spent my whole day on Zoom and now I'm supposed to go get on Zoom in the evening. I mean, it's just like it's too much Zoom, you know, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if just that alone, that oversaturation of that as a, as a mechanism of interaction, people are just tired of it. And it's just it's just been so, you know, that may it may come back. Right. It may come back. Obviously, live events haven't been a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we're going to see a resurgence of live events when coronavirus continues to go away. And uh, I think people are going to be dying to get back to live events. And I think we're going to see trade shows and other things like that. You know, but actually, I thought of another angle I want to yeah. offer you as an answer to your question about what's overrated in marketing, because I actually think that sure. marketing is overrated. <laughs> or, or, or put another way, I think that the idea that marketing is about coming up with a slogan, a tagline, a campaign, and putting it out there, I think, you know, as a person who's involved in customer experience, I, I believe in show, not tell. And that's one thing that's nice about podcasts, right? It's an opportunity to show, to share your mm-hmm. knowledge, to share expertise, to help people, not just tell people, fly the friendly skies, you know? I mean, how many people believe when they see a tagline, fly the friendly skies, yep. that that's going to be an airline that's any more friendly than the next airline? Maybe decades ago that did work, but I think today people have become very, very cynical about that. And I don't think that that type of marketing really works except for one thing. Here's how I always look at it. Because again, I, a lot of what I do is how do we create an experience that really makes people love the brand? So if you want people to say you're the friendliest airline, how do we be the friendliest airline instead of coming up with a tagline that says we're the friendliest airline? And what I always say is that if you think that you're, I call it a claim, right? I always think marketing starts with a claim, like fly the, fly the friendly skies. Maybe in the past we would call it a tagline and we would think that it would make people think we're the friendly skies. But today I say, it's a claim. You claim to say and, and expect that people will treat it as a claim, which is to say with great doubt and suspicion and cynicism and eye rolling. But you've at least made a claim so that then mm-hmm. when people experience your product, there's a little part of the brain that's going, are these guys really the friendly skies? I doubt it, but at least I'm keeping an eye out for it. And it gives you the opportunity to prove your claim is true. But most of the brand impact is going to come from the, 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 the showing, not the telling. And so I think that it's good for that. Traditional marketing is good for the claim, but don't, but, but it's not, it's overrated. And it's, if we believe that it's going to actually convince somebody that our quote unquote brand promise is true, it it just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, that's well put. I mean, and I think strong evidence for that is that whenever possible, if you encounter a commercial, it's the don't lie to me button. You're fast forwarding past that. Yeah. I mean, if I'm listening to podcasts, I'm fast forwarding past any ad in there, you know, unless it happens to be for something that I'm really interested in. But fast forward, same on YouTube. If I listen to a podcast episode where you're interviewing somebody who's an expert at SEO, and by the end, I've learned a bunch about SEO and I've gotten a sense of that person's personality. And I'm thinking, wow, I should call that person. You know, maybe they could help with my SEO. I've just listened to what you could call, if you like, a 30 minute ad. But it doesn't feel like an ad because it doesn't feel like it has, you know, it has, you know, as I said, I always think about three things that has that element of authenticity that doesn't make it feel like an ad because ads never feel authentic, right? Or maybe you can always find an exception that proves the rule. But generally speaking, ads never feel authentic. Yeah, no, right. I mean, that's content marketing. That's the whole concept, right? Selling without selling. And you're right. Listening to a great the d- d- conversation about SEO or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you're being educated first and foremost. The guy is not on there saying, call me now. 
or I'll give you a 10% discount. No, it's just, here's, here's what I find really interesting. Here's what's important. We're, let's talk about ideas. For me, it comes back to, in, in, it's to conversation. You're listening to a conversation, which is essentially, when it's done well, an exploration of an idea, a meeting of the minds between two interesting, smart people that are trying to help each other understand something better. I, the reason why that's such a great way of advertising or marketing is because a, a commercial relationship is a conversation. I have a conversation with United Airlines. I tell them when I need to fly to Florida. They tell me when they have their flights. I tell them, they tell me how much it's going to cost. I tell them I'm willing to buy. They tell me when the flight is, you know, and back and yeah. forth. They ask me if I want to drink. It's a back and forth conversation. And the quality of that conversation determines my level of satisfaction. So when I see them in conversation, you know, in a marketing format, like a podcast, I'm getting to, again, they're showing me, they're showing this is how we are. And of course, it's not the same kind of conversation I'm going to have with them, but that's a great way of giving you a sense of what you're all about. And I think that kind of authenticity and just understanding of what you're about is, is much more appealing than, by the way, you still need a call to action, right? At the end of every podcast, there's still the old, if you want to reach Howard and find out about his services, yeah. and that's fine. You know, that becomes a very small part of the overall experience. But of course you want that. So somebody has a way to take that relationship further if they want to engage. Yeah. So by the way, speaking of which, how can people contact you and reach you if they want to learn more? <laughs> <laughs> See, I wanted to remind you. No, that. Um, so, well, uh, certainly, um, if people are interested in learning more about my book, uh, you can uh, find my book, which is called Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance on Amazon and pretty much, you know, iBooks and um, Barnes Noble and all those types of places. It's a normally published book. Um, you can also go to winningdigitalcustomers.com if you'd like to download the first chapter for free and learn more about the book there and just read some reviews and things like that. Um, and if you want to learn about more about my company, where we do consulting work in this space, it's called From the Digital Transformation Agency, and you can find us at from.digital. I'm also on LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera. Excellent. Well, we're going to put all those links in the show notes. So uh, you heard it here. Go to the show notes, check out those links, check out the book. And Howard, thank you so much for your time and for a really great conversation. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. This has been a lot of fun. That's it for this episode of Engage Your Tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. You know you want to. If you're a marketer or an internal communicator and you're interested in podcasting, we've got tons of free resources on the website at tribknowledge.com. That's T-R-I-B knowledge.com. Thanks for listening and staying engaged.